Hi guys, welcome back to the Deep Learning Crowd podcast. On episode five, we are joined by our next guest, Alexei Grigoriev. Alexei is a principal data scientist for OLX Group and has a vast amount of experience in the industry. He has had much success in his career and more recently has founded a community, the Data Talks Club, for those who love and work in data. Today we'll be discussing the hot new topic of MLOps. Alexei will be sharing his thoughts on this and giving those an overview of what it is and how and why this is a big opportunity for the AI world. You'll get to hear about Data Talks Club and the free courses Alexei is building at present and for the future. Learn what you can from this guy because he has a lot of knowledge and make sure you check out Data Talks Club. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. Sit back, relax. It's good to have you amongst the crowd. Thanks for inviting. Pleasure to be here. Really good to have you on the show. I've been uh, meaning to have you on for a while. You are a man who's been on many podcasts and I know you do a lot for the community. So I'm always willing to get your story told to uh, my network. So that's why I'm glad you're here. Look, for, for the guests who may not know you, I would like to just to share a little bit of an overview of who you are and your background. Just so obviously we can start piecing the uh, puzzle together. Okay, so... Uh, my background, original background, is more like in databases. I'm an engineer by training, so I learned like how to set databases and things like that. And this is what I was doing after graduating for a couple of years. I worked as a Java developer, but then I saw this amazing course on Coursera about machine learning, and this is when I understood that this is what I want to do. So next couple of years, I spent learning as much as possible about machine learning, and I even did a master's about that. And then since 2015, I work as a data scientist full-time. Yeah, So now I work as a principal data scientist at OLX. My responsibilities include a lot of doing a lot of coordinating work between teams. So I help start projects and I help deploy projects. So one of the focuses I have is uh, well, once you have a model, making sure that this model can be deployed successfully. So usually it comes with a lot of engineering things, like how do we deploy this? Or what is the best way of doing this? Like how to make it easier and things like this. And I have a small team. Uh, I lead a small team of two people who help uh, a lot with uh, all this engineering stuff. And our goal, our role, responsibility, the main responsibility is to help all, to help all data scientists at Toelix to, to make it easier for them to deploy models. Because uh, for data scientists, the main focus should be um, model training and not all this engineering stuff around that. So we are taking care of the, the engineering aspect of the job. Thank you. I'm not a huge fan of this terminology, but it does help me paint a picture. Would you say you're like a generalized or a specialized data scientist or a machine learning engineer? Probably I'm a generalist. So I, I, I know a bit of everything and I don't know anything in depth. Like <laughs> just a, a little bit cool. of, you know, everything. But if you start asking me, grilling me on deep learning questions, then at some point I'll just, okay, sorry, I don't know. Like that's just too, too difficult for me. Jack of all trades, master of yeah, none, that's, but I'm sure uh, that's, <laughs> that's the, me. I'm not insulting you. I'm not insulting you. <laughs> okay, cool. You work for OLX Group um, as a principal data scientist. We'll dive into what you've founded recently. So as a principal data scientist, what sort of projects and what sort of role do you play there? Yeah, so as I said, it's mostly coordinating work. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, there is a project that needs triple teams to be involved, so... Uh, we need to get together and then talk and then think, okay, how do we move from, you know, not having a model to having a model and impacting users. So that involves a lot of talking, a lot of planning, a lot of thinking, okay, how do, what kind of data we need, what kind of teams we need to involve. I'm not a part of any specific team, apart from, you know, the, the team I just mentioned, we help with engineering stuff. But as a principle, like I'm also a bit, uh, you know, not embedded in any 
specific team and it helps me to have bigger picture in mind and see how things are connected to each other. So that's what I do. And then I, the, the other thing I mentioned is we help data scientists with engineering stuff. So for that, we have a specialized team. Um, there is a machine learning engineer and a site reliability engineer. So we help with all the tools that data scientists need to make their job easier. So that's one of the things I'm also doing. And then at the end of the day, it involves a lot of writing documentations. Like I spend a lot of time in Google Docs, in Confluence, spent a lot of time on Zoom. So I don't code, uh, I don't write code as much at work, at least. So I still do write code outside of work, but at work, not so much these days. Yeah, and uh, that's roughly it. What does um, principle mean? Does that mean you're a leader or does it mean you just, like you said, you coordinate between teams? Like, What does that mean? It means this is an individual contributor role. So let's say you have, you know, the standard junior, middle, senior roles, junior data scientist, middle data scientist, uh, senior data scientist, right? And then they diverge. So there are two tracks. So the first track is the manager. So there you have data science manager, then you have head of data science, then you have, I know, data science director, or sometimes you have like, uh, I don't know, senior manager. So this is the managerial track. There is another track, which is called expert track. So usually after senior on the expert track, you have elite data scientist, uh, at least in OLX. Uh, in other companies, uh, it's this role is often called staff, staff data scientist, staff engineer. And then after staff, there is the role, the role called principal. Some companies actually, like Amazon, for example, I think after senior, they immediately have principal. But this is a role. This is a technical role, like an expert role after senior. And in case of OLX, this is senior, then lead than principal. So this is what I'm doing. It just happened to me that I'm also a bit of a manager, so I, but I lead a small team. So I don't have, like, if you think about data science managers of head of data science, they usually have a team of like six, seven people, or like in case of head of data science, science they have like two, three people, two, three teams reporting to them. So for me, the team is quite small. So, and this is, uh, the team is quite focused on one specific thing, which is helping the other teams uh, with engineering and stuff. So that's principle. Like in theory, principles are not supposed to have any reports, but yeah, in practice, uh, it was like my manager came to me and said, hey, what do you think about uh, managing a couple of people? And then this is not something <laughs> you can say no to. <laughs> No, of course not. <laughs> well, look, it, that structure is the same sort of structure that a lot of recruitment consultants can go down as well. The same terminologies or titles, you can either go down the leadership route once you get to a certain level or you can become a principal. And that principal is obviously more focused on just billing rather than leading a team. But obviously you're more of an expert. But it sounds like you've crossed over slightly anyway, um, even though you are a principal. Mm -hmm. yeah. But okay, I want to sort of dive into where I think is most juicy about your experience and what you've been up to over the last uh, year and a half. You've actually founded a company or a community called Data Talks Club. Um, for our listeners, can you share a little bit about what this is and your role within the uh, organization or community? Yeah, thanks for asking. So Data Talks Club is a community of people who love data, and that includes everyone who needs to touch data or based decision uh, on data, which is data analysts, data engineers, machine learning engineers, data scientists, product managers. So everyone who needs to work with data, who likes to work with data, who builds things with data. So this is a community for people like that. And so for me, the, the reason it appeared, it was quite spontaneous actually. So one day I just woke up and thought, okay, it would be nice to have a place like that. And yeah, so the next thing I know is I'm registering a domain on GoDaddy. So, <laughs> and then I'm making a landing page. And then a couple of months later, 
it looked like uh, it got some traction so people started to join people were active asking questions and during that time I met a lot of interesting people. So because I was uh, welcoming everyone who was joining the community saying, hey, can you tell a few words about yourself? What brought you here? And things like this. Now I cannot do that. Uh, apologies so for those who are joining the community right now. It's just too difficult. So when it was just one person joining the community per day, it was manageable for me. But now when it's 10, 20, 30 people per day, that's just too too difficult for me to keep up with everything. So, but yeah, Evan, this is a place for data folks to hang out and uh, yeah, for everyone who like data. And like for me personally, for me, communities played a very big role in my career, in my life. So mostly in my professional life, but also like in my hobbies. So like when I was uh, at school, I was learning how to program. And like it was in Russia, we didn't really have textbooks about, uh, you know, I was learning Delphi, which is a programming language. I didn't have a lot of books. And if I had questions, there was no place for me to, to go and look. Internet wasn't really accessible. So I had to drive through across the town where I lived to my mother's place, to my mother's work, and then use her internet at work to ask questions. And then I found this online forum. And then I was asking questions there. People would reply. And that was amazing. So for me, since then, since high school, communities became a part of my life. And then, yeah, I was a part of many communities. Also, I was a lot into music. Like, you know, it's called bootlegs. It's like when fans go to shows and record the videos of the show. And this is like fun recording, right? It's not like a professional one. And then I was in a community where people could exchange these recordings. So that was a lot of fun. And for me, like when I became a Java developer. The first thing I did, I registered at the Java forum and then started being active there. When I decided to become a data scientist, the first thing I did is I registered in, um, what was the site? Like there is Stack Exchange, which is like a platform for asking questions. So I registered in, um, it's called Cross-Validated. Um, so this is like one of the websites there and I was answering questions there. And then for me, it was natural that one day, yeah, I thought, okay, like it would be nice to have a place for all data folks to, to hang out. And this is how DataTalks Club appeared. Yeah, nice. Well, let's be honest, community is always a key way to learn because although you can always look for a mentor and have that one-on-one interaction, having a community, you're alongside people who are coming across the same problems, may have already solved it or may have something that you don't have or may have like a piece of information or like a course that you would like to do uh, and vice versa. They can ask you things. So I think community is always going to be the best way to grow. So what are you trying to achieve with this community? Yeah, so that's a difficult question because uh, like to me, as I said, it was a spontaneous thing and then it got traction and then I just went with the flow. So people like it. So let's see how to keep them entertained. So first it was just a Slack workplace. Then I thought it would be nice to have some events. And then I thought, hmm, what about podcasts? And then it eventually like grew. So yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to achieve. So I just want to have a place <laughs> for people to exchange experience. But yeah, of course, I also have my goals that don't necessarily share publicly. But one of the ambitions I have is for this community to be the to-go community for any data person. So let's say somebody wants to become a data scientist. They immediately know where to go. Somebody wants to become a data engineer. They know where to go. So there is a place and people know about this place and then they join the community and then they start working with other people who share the same passion. So that's the ultimate ambition for me to become this to-go place. But I think there is still a lot to do to make this happen. Well, look, I, I honestly think you're making a 
good dent in the community with what you're doing. I see it everywhere. And I think anyone I'm connected with or have some form of interaction, they're part of your uh, meetup or part of your groups on LinkedIn and then obviously your Slack. And the good thing about your Slack, one thing that I appreciated is that you've got an area where you can even post job adverts. I remember before I was looking for an engineer or a data engineer or something like that. And you said, yep, share it into the job section. So those who are looking can just join Slack and look in the job section and there'll be recruiters there, but there's a certain section. So you're not always have to be involved talking to recruiters, but if that needs there to look for something exciting, that that's a good way to go, a good place to, to start seeking. So you're everywhere. I see you on a lot of platforms and stuff like that. But you're also doing other things. You've got some things that have come up in the Data Talks LinkedIn page and you're running some courses currently at the moment. Do you care sharing what you're uh, what you're up to and what you've been doing recently? Yeah, so far it's a singular, a course, not courses. Although we do plan to run more courses, I'll probably tell you a bit about that slightly later. So the course uh, we have right now is called Machine Learning Zoom Camp. Yeah, so this is for somebody who wants to become a machine learning engineer, somebody is a data engineer or like, uh, I don't know, software engineer right now, or I don't know, a data analyst or a student. They want to learn how, like they want to learn about machine learning engineering. And this is the course for them. So there in this course, we go through the basics, like what machine learning is, what is regression, what is classification, how to relate models. And then one of the most important things is like how you take the model you just trained and how do you go about deploying this. So a large chunk of the course, a large part of the course is devoted to this deployment stuff. So because you know, usually the model that you train in a Jupyter notebook is, it doesn't stay there. It needs to go out there. It needs to be deployed somewhere to start being useful. If your model sits in Jupyter notebook, even if it's the best model in the world, it's yeah, it's meaning it's meaningless, right? So it's like it's not useful. It's just sitting there on your computer and nobody can use it. That's why one of the focuses, uh, the core focuses in in the course is taking this model that you trained and making it available for others to use. So there is a bunch of videos. So people go through videos, people watch the videos. There is after each like module there is a homework. But the other important thing, like it's not enough just to watch. Right? So you can watch and you can think, okay, now I know so much, but when it comes to actually doing things, you like it's more difficult. That's why there is a big focus on projects. So it's not enough just to watch the course, but you have to do two projects. And only if you do these two projects, then we will give you a certificate of completing the, the course. So that's roughly it. So the idea is you have some software engineering background and you want to get into machine learning and then we teach you the most important thing like you know this 20% that give you 80% of skills so we focus on this 20% and half of this 20% is ability to deploy your stuff so we put a lot of emphasis on that part as well and this course uh, is it free yeah it is free so anyone can register so it started in September. I'm still recording videos, by the way. So I think I need to record like last two modules. Yeah, it started in September and anyone can join now and watch the videos that are already there. Of course, it's a bit, a little bit late with uh, the homework and like, the first project. You can take this course at your own pace and like there is a homework, you do the homework and then you go and check the solution. And if you're more into like cohort-based courses, then we will launch it one more time. I think next September, so roughly like in a year. Uh, so it, this one started in September 2021. So the next one will start in September 2022. Cool. 
So the one thing that I wanted to speak to you about today, because when we were discussing some of the topics we could cover, you've uh, mentioned before that on a few podcasts, you have gone into details about transitioning from a software engineer to a data scientist, which is kind of, you know, like you just said, what the course is all about. So I thought, why not talk about MLOps? Because you obviously know a good amount about this area, or you do know a lot that most people don't about this area. And I feel like it would be a good discussion because it's an area that I have recently began focusing on as a niche because I think MLOps is going to be a booming area of tech. So I wanted to sort of find out from your sort of side, Alexi, transitioning from a software engineer to a data scientist, but uh, as an and also an MLOps engineer. Just give me a little overview of uh, what you think about that. Yeah, that's a packed question. So I'm just trying to think where should I start. So first of all, yeah, so my background is, uh, as I said at the beginning, so I was a Java developer. So I, even before that, I learned about database, databases during my bachelor degree. Then I was working as a Java developer. And yeah, so I really learned well how to build things, to use all these programming languages for building complex software systems. And this turned out a very useful background for a data scientist. Like, as I said, when I was talking about the course, that it's not enough just to train a good model and leave it in your Jupyter notebook. The model needs to go out there. It needs to be available for others to use. It needs to be deployed and it needs to be deployed reliably in a way when somebody starts using it, it doesn't you know, just break. And and this skill of taking your model and deploying it, of making it available and reliable, this is something that software engineers can do pretty well. And the way you can think about this, if you're a software engineer and want you and want to get into machine learning, so the way you can think about this is you're not transitioning to machine learning, you're just learning machine learning and adding to your existing skill set. So you need to learn this. What is regression? What is classification? How do I use this scikit-learn library? How do I use this XGBoost library? How do I use TensorFlow? But you already know how to program. And then you're just connecting different things together. So you're training your model. And of course, in the course, I tell you how you can do this, how you can make sure that your model is good, doesn't overfit and all these things. Most of the work, like 80% of the work, if not more, is not about training your model, but it's about preparing your data. It's about cleaning your data. It's about, you know, training your model in such a way that it's easily reproducible. So you just press a button and your model is trained, like all this automation. And then once the model is trained, like how do you go about deploying this? What tools do you use? This has nothing to do with machine learning that we learn at school at, uh, during courses. This is purely engineering problem. So you don't need to know much about machine learning to actually to do this. Like let's say this automatic training, you just need you just know that there is some data there. Then there is this black box that pulls the data from this database, does something, and then of course you can have data scientists who can explain you what's going on there. But as an engineer, you don't necessarily have to know all the details there, all the things you study at this one-year-long machine learning courses, like about all these derivatives, Jacobians, and you know all this complex stuff. So there is a black box. Uh, you maybe can pick and take a look at what's there, but you don't have to understand all the details and then you can learn how to deploy this. So I think this is what software engineers can do well. And this is a very, 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 how to say, this skill is in demand right now because yeah, models need to be deployed. And yeah, so, but this is more like about machine learning engineering right now. And your question was about MLOps. So to me, MLOps is uh, it's such an overloaded term right now these days. So everyone is saying, hey, MLOps is, uh, you know, 
which will solve all your problems. Like a lot of vendors jump in in this um, hype uh, train and say MLOps will solve all your problems, right? And then people say, oh, I'm doing MLOps and it's very difficult to understand what it actually means. So to me, the way I define MLOps, uh, I might be super wrong. So, uh, but this is how I see it. So this is about taking the machine learning model that you have and then having all this infrastructure around that. And not only that, so there is this technical component, but there is also the people component. So how do you, how do people work together to make model that data scientists produce and how to actually do this together with data scientists? How do we together, engineers and data scientists work on training a model and then go about deploying this model and then go about monitoring this model, go about retraining this model. Uh, how do we prepare data? How do we build all these pipelines that we need to do in order to train a model? And the core thing here, in my opinion, is it's not like data scientists just sit alone in their corner and then two months later they come to data engineers or machine learning engineers saying, hey, there is this Jupyter notebook, please take it. And yeah, don't call me because I'm, I'm busy with some other stuff now. So now it's your problem. Not like that. So MLOps is not about that. MLOps is about working together on the same problem. So it's about processes, it's about tech. Yeah, so there are, there are two, two things. It's not just um, model deployment. And I think I often see that MLOps is sort of equal to, you have a model, how do you deploy it? So MLOps is not just model deployment. There is more. So I hmm. don't remember what was your original question, but... No, that, that's that's yeah. it. That, that, well, to be fair, you've, you've done a nice overview, but now obviously we can dive a little bit more into some questions about MLOps. Look, you, you mentioned about MLOps, like people having different ways of explaining it or different terminologies. Like I've heard machine learning, uh, machine learning productionization, all this. And some people don't even like the term MLOps. I'm currently working on two roles at the moment for an MLOps. MLOps engineer, one's a bit more senior, but the job specs are actually a little bit more different than I thought they would be as well. So I guess every company might have a different way of interpreting it or, you know, what you'll be doing as a task. So this is, I think, where it's maybe it's, it's early stages as well. Uh, a lot of companies are not 100% sure exactly what they're going to look for or need whilst uh, they're implementing it. They'll probably learn on the job <laughs> some changes and stuff. But you said like MLOps, it's not always, maybe it's not always the right decision to make, would you think? to implement it immediately or do you feel like a company should? I think they should start with that. I wouldn't call it MLOps or DevOps or anything. So the, the way we call it at Oelix, we call it feature teams. So Feature teams. Feature teams. So it, this is like the concept when you put different people together in one team and then you tell them, okay, this is what you should do. Figure out how to do this and yeah, use your best judgment to do this. And then this team has a product manager the product manager's responsibility is that the team is doing the right thing that is needed for the user to solve their problems, right? And then the team works as an independent unit together to figure out like, okay, this is the goal we have. How do we actually go there? How do we achieve our objective? And usually like when we have like data analysts, data engineers, data scientists, machine learning engineers, operations people, what you can we can call MLOps engineers. At Ulix we call them site reliability engineers, or sometimes you call them DevOps people, right? So basically somebody who maintains all this infrastructure. Yeah. So everyone here works together on solving the same problem. And there is no throwing over the wall. As I said, like data scientists develops a model and then they throw it over the wall to the engineers telling, hey, now deploy this. And then engineers write some code and then deploy, like throw it again over the wall to the ops people saying, okay, now we have this application deployed to Kubernetes now. 
right? So there is no such thing as passing the, you know, like a hot potato. Nobody wants to have the hot potato, right? They're just throwing it away. But it's like, you know, sitting together and then figuring out how do you go from nothing to a model serving real users together. So what, what do you think are main benefits for a company to implement a machine learning lifecycle or MLOps or productionization of it? Yeah, the main benefit is the chances that you end up with a successful project are way higher. Because when you have independent teams, this is at least my experience, this is what I saw, the chances that project dies in the transition, like when you throw it, when you pass it to another team, is very high. Because let's say you let data scientists work alone on a project. What happens is they spend a lot of time trying to come up with the best model. And then they don't really care about the code, at least when I, uh, I'm doing that, when I'm really focusing on experiments. I don't, really, I don't care about writing good code. The code I have is very sloppy. It's uh, just a bunch of Jupyter notebooks. Like it's total mess, right? And then I have this good model, right? And then I go to machine learning engineers uh, or like... Sometimes it's just engineers, you know, and say, okay, I have this perfect model. And uh, our, let's say, director says, now we need to deploy this model because they really like the results. And now machine learning engineer or engineer takes this over and tries to figure out what's going on in this and why this thing doesn't work and why the code is so crap. And then like half an hour, uh, half uh, like a half a year later, they decide, okay, we need to rewrite everything because we cannot make any sense from what's going on here. Let's rewrite from scratch. So they, of course, rewrite it in Java because uh, that's what software engineers usually do. They like Java. They don't like Python. At least that was my experience. And then, of course, when they rewrite it, nothing works because they rewrote, they made some mistakes. Maybe the code, because the code was crap, they didn't see some things. So they think that they created turns out to be working completely different from the prototype that data scientists created and yeah the thing doesn't work and then you can spend months here figuring out what went wrong like how to adjust it and then you okay you aligned on this so you fixed all the bugs these two things the prototype and the rewritten version work well and now there is the next step like how do you actually put this to i don't know kubernetes cluster or like how do you deploy this and then yeah uh, like again, if there is no DevOps in the company, then there is a team of admins who maintain all this infra stuff. So you hand it over to them and then they deploy it. A project has to be really, really, really important in order to survive all this, uh, uh, all these stages. And uh, it does happen that projects survive, projects get released after you know, one year, one year and a half of work these different transitions but it would be so much cooler if everyone was working on the same team and then a data scientist comes up with a model proof concept as fast as possible together with engineers so they already think okay now we're writing this sloppy code but how do we go about deploying it immediately so engineer is involved from the very beginning so they already have this in mind okay we are writing now with the goal of deploying this poc like how do we make sure that all these engineering practices are actually there so we can deploy this and it doesn't break the moment we put it out there. And then what can happen is after two weeks or after one month, there is a proof of concept, there is a prototype that doesn't break like all the time. It breaks only, I don't know, in 20% of the time, but it's like semi-working and it can be tested, right? And then you test this and then as a team, you iterate. And then if you see that the project is a failure, you just stop and you move on to the next one. So what MLOps brings you, what these feature teams or product teams bring you is the ability to have these short cycles, the ability to focus on a specific objective. And then what this gives you 
is the ability to focus on important things and something doesn't work, you just throw it away. So you waste less time on communicating and more projects at the end get to see the light. So that's the main benefit of, of all that. If you founded a startup or if you was to give advice to a startup, for example, and they had a machine learning model, would you get them to implement this way of doing things immediately? Yeah, why not? Maybe if like if I needed to give advice to a startup who wants to start with data science, the advice I would give is you do not need to hire great data scientists. Just take the engineers you have and train them and they will do all this work for like then if engineers do this uh, thing end to end then it will be actually faster than trying to find a great data scientist who maybe is not good engineer and then having them to work together a startup wants to move faster so maybe you can hire a data science consultant for example who will train your engineers and then uh, this way you can yeah make things faster and then once you have like a prototype once you can show the value of this machine learning project then you can hire data scientists in your company understandable so after doing a lot of research especially before starting to implement it into my actual recruitment as a title i've seen other areas obviously devops that's been around for over a decade now and it's definitely boomed i don't see it as much now probably because of the industry i'm in but there's also other terms as well i actually saw do ops you see data ops as well what are the sort of key differences i know obviously it's probably just where they're applied but are there any sort of key differences between those kind of things i mean like the difference between machine learning engineer and the usual software engineer is that machine learning engineer works on machine learning so they need to know some machine learning, right? To, to have this, I wouldn't call it domain expertise, but this is kind of their specialization. So I think about uh, DevOps in, uh, as kind of the same thing. So you have software engineers and, you know, these DevOps principles, and then you have machine learning engineers and MLOps, right? So it's a more specialized area of DevOps, but it's still about engineering and still about development. And the same applies to data ops. So you have data engineers and then there is a thing called data ops. So which is like DevOps specialized for building data engineering pipelines, for example. This is my interpretation. I might be wrong. But yeah, I don't think there is any, oh, there is very large difference between these terms. So at the end, all of them say team, like all the people in the team should work together. There is shared responsibility of a team. So the whole team is responsible for the output of they work and yeah, they work together and all, all this stuff. Do you think MLOps could potentially be bigger than DevOps? Uh, well, if you use the definition I just gave you that MLOps is a specialized area of DevOps, then no, because like, no, how yeah, okay. a part can be bigger than the whole, right? Understandable. Yeah, because that's basically the mothership, you could say. Depends how you break it down. And I guess it depends who and how they define it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what are some of the key MLOps tools that you're seeing flying around now? that people are working with? Yeah, so um, I think now um, the way I see MLOps uh, where it's going now is like it focuses on post-model deployment. So you deploy a model, what happens next? And it's, well, first of all, like the actual model deployment, right? So that's um, like one set of tools. How do you deploy a model in such a way that it's easy and it's reproducible and you can do this with just a click of a button. So it's fully automated. Like that's one set of tools. And there are tools like, I don't know, SageMaker, for example, you can use it for model deployment. 
and then I don't know you can deploy to Kubernetes, you can deploy to Kubeflow serving. Like there, there, there's a lot of different tools out there, and you can actually use standard software engineering tools. Like I said, uh, Kubernetes. You don't have to use something specialized for machine learning, but using specialized tools gives you the ability to get a bit of you know ad monitoring. So let's say you deploy a model, and now you start collecting metrics. And then if this metrics, if this thing that you use for deploying already knows that this is a machine learning model that you deployed, you can start collecting machine learning specific metrics. So like a bunch of tools for deploying, even before deploying, so you have this training. So if you want to automate the training process, if you want to make it as easy as, you know, pressing a button, so there is a bunch of tools for that. So this process is called training pipelines or machine learning pipelines. So the tools there usually are orchestration tools. Like you have a lot of steps. How do you arrange these steps in a sequence? So they are executed in this specific sequence. So there is like, so this task depends on the previous task. So how do you make sure that they are executed in the right order? So there are orchestration tools. Like that so the for example airflow which is more like a data engineering tool but it's widely used for machine learning for training machine learning models as well and then you can think also about hardware where that you use for training models not hardware but like the place where you train it we usually have here things like aws batch or SageMaker or uh, Kubernetes jobs uh, and things like that. Then there is a thing called machine learning pipelines, which is like specialized pipelines, specialized orchestration tools. So you can use Airflow, which is quite generic tool. You can apply it to everything, but there are tools that are specific to machine learning pipelines. So again, SageMaker. I use SageMaker at work, so that's why it comes up quite often. So it's not like I'm paid by AWS. It's just something I use at work <laughs> quite often. There are similar tools for other vendors from uh, other cloud providers like Google Cloud, like Azure, and so on. So, yeah, so in SageMaker, you have pipelines, then you can use Kubeflow pipelines. Yeah, there are tools like Flight or Metaflow that you can do for, you know, orchestrating all these jobs that specialize on machine learning. So, okay, you have training, then we cover deployment, and then after a model is deployed, you have the monitoring piece. Like, how do you make sure that the models that you think perform well actually perform well? So, it's about... Uh, building dashboards and then seeing what is going on with your models. And then there are again tools from software engineering like, I don't know, Prometheus, Kibana, or I don't know, New Relic, Datadog. But there are specialized tools for monitoring, like I don't know, Wileups or Evidently or I don't know, a bunch of, um, there are, there is quite a few startups in this area. So if you just go to your favorite search engine and type uh, machine learning models monitoring or MLOps monitoring, you'll get a bunch of vendors who focus on that. So there are open source tools, like evidently there are closed source tools like uh, Arise, for example, who help you with that. So that's the monitoring thing. Then of course, you often want to involve uh, human experts in this pipeline. So here people can just look at the predictions of your model and see, okay, this is correct or this is incorrect. This is especially important if you use your machine learning models for making decisions. So for example, at 2LX, we use machine learning, not only for that, but we use it a lot for moderation purposes. So OLX as a website is a place where you can send, sell things you don't need anymore. So let's say you want to sell your iPhone or Android phone, whatever. So you go to this uh, to OLX and you create a listing and people who want to buy a secondhand phone call you and then you basically meet and exchange money, right? So we use it for moderation purposes to make sure that the thing you are trying to sell can be sold. So it's not a weapon, it's a phone. And it's not like some fraud or it's not a duplicate or something else. So here involving humans 
is very important. So there are moderators who sit and make the final decision. Okay, let's say we think that this listing is suspicious. It looks like a gun, but our model is not 100% sure. Then we send this listing to a human to verify that. And then from these humans, from these moderators, we collect some statistics. Like, what is the precision of our model? And things like this. How many decisions that the model did ended up being correct, right? Things like this. So then you can add humans. So this is like the, this, this whole area of machine learning called human in the loop, which is about how do you add humans there to make sure like, um, I don't know, for collecting training data, for making sure your model is performing well. So I would also say it's part of MLOps in a way, like how do you set up your process in such a way that it's easy for humans to validate the output of your model. And then humans validate this and you send it to the to a dashboard and then you, you, you see this on the dashboard, like the precision of your model over time, right? So what else is there? Yeah, I think there is a bunch of other things, uh, but I think the most important now like are these training pipelines, then deploying models, then uh, monitoring. And then the last bit, which I didn't mention, is about retraining. So you see that model monitoring. So you monitor your models and you see that the performance of your model degrades, right? So maybe moderators say that now this model is not as accurate as it, as it used to be. And then it, you can automatically retrain your model on the new data that these moderators generated. So you can just press a button well, in the ideal world, and if all your processes are set up, um, so you can just press a button, use all this data that moderators generated, and you can have a new model in one hour that have better performance than the previous one. And since you have monitoring in place, you can see that, okay, all the metrics actually improved. And like, if the metrics didn't improve, maybe you can easily roll back to the previous model. So you also have this possibility. And it's all automated. So you can just click a button and go back to the previous model. So yeah, you see MLOps is about automating things. So you don't do things manually. You, well, maybe you click a button, but a lot of things happen there. So usually there still needs to be a human involved in making the final decision. Like, do I want to, to retrigger this, this process? Do I want to roll back to my previous model or not? But there is a lot of automation there. Like all these different steps, all these different tools, how do we link them together so they like form a flow. And then there are tools that are called machine learning platforms that give you this end-to-end, -end, uh, how to say, feeling. Like you can basically do everything with just these tools. So for example, I think SageMaker, because it came up so often, it can give you this end-to-end -end thing. So because you can do model training there, you can do model serving there, you can uh, involve humans in the loop to send uh, you know, some predictions for verification. So you can do all that. And then there are, for example, Kubeflow is also a machine learning platform. I'm not sure about uh, easily involving humans there, but it also has this uh, pipeline component, serving component. Uh, I think there is also monitoring component. I'm not sure about that. But there are tools that focus on the end-to-end -end thing. But nobody stops you from building it from different tools, like or each all these all these blocks. Well, look, thanks for that. It's a really nice overview as well. You clearly are an expert, um, and you clearly know your stuff. So this leads me on to um, maybe some of the listeners. They're probably uh, looking to make that transition to a data scientist, or they maybe already are in the field, but still quite early on. So what advice might you give to some of these young data scientists or machine learning engineers or uh, MLOps engineers as well? Well, let's start with MLOps engineers. So MLOps, it looks like it's about machine learning, but it's not. It's 100% engineering things. So don't be 
afraid like let's say if you want to get there don't listen to gatekeepers who say yeah you need to you know do two levels two two years of calculus and then one year of linear algebra and then you also need to know about you know this uh, advanced convex optimization so basically you need to have a phd in mathematics to to get into this field which is not true mlops is purely an engineering discipline you don't have to know math if you know a bit of math if you know so much learning it's helpful but it's not you know, hard requirements. So that's one thing. Then for data scientists, say somebody who wants to transition from software engineer, uh, engineering to machine learning engineer, engineering, again, the same thing applies. Like you don't need to have a PhD in mathematics to be successful in this role. So think about this as not switching careers entirely, but focusing more on machine learning. So, you know, software engineers, we can have like software engineers who focus in Java. We can have software engineers who focus on Python. We have software engineers who focus on, I don't know, Go, for example. We can also have software engineers who focus on machine learning and that would be machine learning engineers. So you're not switching um, career, you're specializing. Right? So this uh, this is something I would advise people to think about if they are software engineers and then they want to go to machine learning, to think about this this way. So you're not switching careers, you are specializing. And uh, yeah, what, who else you you mentioned? Or I covered? Uh, mach well, machine learning engineers, but you, I think, yeah, sort of covered it all. <laughs> but yeah, don't right. be afraid of math. So if you're engineers, uh, engineers are afraid of math, usually I was. So don't be afraid of math. So at the end, this is just a bunch of, of for loops. And uh, once you see that, uh, nobody can stop you. Well, for the listeners listening, take some uh, note and for sure, uh, check out Alexi's LinkedIn. Everything will be in the summary as well when I do post this so everyone can uh, find out exactly where to see all your content and all your information. So there will only be one click away or one question away from your community as well. But most importantly, Alexi, you're up to a lot of stuff. You're also working a full-time job as well as uh, founded this group. So what's next for you? What is your plans for the group or for yourself? Well, that's a difficult question. So, well, I want to keep doing what I'm doing for Data Talks Lab. So I want to have more courses and uh, find more ways to engage with the community. So that's one thing. As for professionally, I like what I'm doing at Olix Group. So I think maybe I want to be a little bit more hands-on. But let's see how to arrange that, uh, to organize that. So because now, as I said, I spent a lot of time in Zoom calls. So I miss those days when uh, I would hack things and then put these things to production. So yeah, I'm figuring out how to do that. But yeah, I guess the short term, that long term, I don't know. What's the, uh, you said, we mentioned it earlier, you briefly said we might touch on it. Uh, what's the next, what's a course that you're working on or a course that you're planning to do? Ah, right. Yeah. So I did mention that, that uh, I would talk about this. Exactly. So we are going to launch a data engineering course in uh, January. So if you're a software engineer and you want to get into data engineering, sign up. We will have yeah. a course in uh, January. It's also for data scientists who want to get into data engineering for data analysts uh, also who want to know more about data engineering. So do sign up. And then another thing, which I didn't announce it anywhere yet, so you'll be the first one who hears that. Love it. <laughs> so we also want to run an MLOps Zoom camp in uh, April. Awesome. I know a couple of things about uh, MLOps, I think, I hope. So, and I would like to, to share this knowledge with uh, everyone. Absolutely. 
I look forward to uh, seeing more of it. When I see the courses come live, I'll definitely give it a share amongst my community because I haven't got as many connections as you or followers, but I've got about probably half, maybe a bit less of you. So uh, collaboratively, I think we can uh, get as many eyes on it for sure. And as well, I'm sure you've got a lot of people in your community who will be sharing it. So if I can help you as much as possible, that'd be amazing. And guys, these are still free, right? Still free courses? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm thinking like, you know, making courses is, it takes a lot of time. So I'm thinking maybe I'll create a paid course about something. Not these two. So these two, and this is actually, I will not be doing this alone. So I learned that the best way of doing courses is involve other people. Absolutely. (laughs) In that. So this ML Ops course, for example, there will be there will be like five instructors. So I will only be covering one module and the rest will be covered by other people. But I'm thinking that maybe I should try to create a paid course and see how it goes. Um, But this is more like a dream than anything concrete. Well, it's a stepping stone and plus, you know, free content, once you get, once they get the bait, the basis or the foundations, that it will always go more in depth. And obviously that costs more time for you. So who knows, that might be something you can do in the future. But look, thank you so much, Alexi. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you um i like what you're doing for the community and as i said i've wanted to get you on here for a very long time um thanks for having me guys uh you can find him for obviously the uh for the summary you'll see his name alexi alexi grigoriev yeah cool there you go um but guys <laughs> um have a uh, have a check in him out on his linkedin if you don't know him already he's uh one guy i've been following for uh, since i started this um ai world journey that i'm in in recruitment but thank you alexi Yeah, thanks for having me. Amazing. Thanks, guys, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Take care.